Welcome to episode 143 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And uh, we are broadcasting live in front of a captive audience, quite literally, here at Castle Wolfenstein. What does that look for? It, well, it's just my face. She's resting. What, what the fuck are you doing, look? It just After 10 years of being with you, it just kind of sticks like that. Yeah, that's it comes true. comes naturally. So as you can tell, I am joined, as always, by my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the real housewife of Transylvania, the mistress of Merlot, and the Michael Phelps of wine. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashes Von Nightmare. Hello, everyone. How are you? I don't think they're going to answer back because they can't hear. I mean, they can. Well, they can hear and they can answer. And if they yell loud enough, maybe I can hear them. In the past. That's a that's a hell of a shout. Maybe we'll time travel, too. Hey. What, crazier things have happened. And we are, of course, also joined by the hardest working man in podcasting, the man with the Cal Ripken-like streak of podcast appearances. Ladies and gentlemen, the very, very bootylicious Johnny Wolfenstein. Boo! <laughs> Boo this man right there! That's the best reaction I've got in a long time. I appreciate it. I feel like a heel now. I like it. I feel like it gives me some strength. I, I, I think he was just saying bootylicious. I think he was saying Boo Earns. Oh. No, I was saying Boo this man. <laughs> and joining us today, we have a couple of very special guests. Uh, their documentary, Survival of the Film Freaks, is... Uh, currently on Indiegogo. You still have some time to pick it up. I'm not sure how much time is left by the time this airs on a couple of days from now. But uh, do yourself a favor and pick this film up. There's a bunch of different options we'll get into as far as uh, how you can support these guys. But we are joined by a man with a fantastic beard and a man with a beard who's not as fantastic. Which is uh, which? It's getting there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, in order of uh, of uh, introduction, we have Bill Fulkerson and Kyle Kutch. Kutch. You right. You right. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. Whatever you say is correct. Don't Kutch don't worry Kale. about it. <laughs> yeah. Kutch yeah. I'm fine, Ash. Thanks for asking. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Bill, Bill, I actually Bill used to have no beard, and I had the bigger beard when we started. Um, this venture, and then the tides of tides have changed. You just yes, I haven't shaved since then. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you haven't shaved since then. <laughs> See, I can't, I can't deal with it. I, mine gets to a certain length, and I start looking like that. I sleep in boxcars, and I have to, I have to trim it up, and at least, you know, <laughs> shave it down a little bit so that it's. No, that's the way to do it, man. So then, then when they find you in the box car, it's like, oh, you know, it's other. I'm people just passing through. I don't live it's much here. Much attractive to be living here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get my long, scraggly beard, and it becomes very difficult for me to get a table for one at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> you like I, to keep them on their toes. Yeah, I do keep it trim though. So I like I keep the I bring the sides in so it stays much more like central as opposed to everywhere. Yeah, it's it's very well uh, maintained. Uh, it's like a uh, like a millionaire's lawn or like a, a yes, the, the yes, 18th it's, it's a, fairway at, at Pebble Beach. No joke. There's, I blow dry it and uh, put a, a beard bomb in it every day. Yeah. There's a method to your macho madness. Yeah. 
Kyle has seen we went to Hard Hunt. He saw me blow dry it and comb it out in the bathroom. It's very arousing. I love it. <laughs> now, what does a beard blowout consist of? Like, do you, you have get, like, like sixty tools? bucks and <laughs> like two hours of your time? No, you buy yourself a nice small barrel brush mm-hmm. and you you comb it downwards with the blow dryer, and then you give it the curl up when you reach the bottom, and then you go from underneath with the barrel brush. And you do the opposite until you get it straightened out enough that it's manageable. And then you put a put a beard balm or an oil if you choose. I have a couple oils that are like sandalwood. They're very refreshing, also manly. Um, and that's it. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a quick five minute process. I use a, a beard balm myself. I have uh, I actually have a very specific thing because I shave my head as well because I I don't grow hair. And the hair I do grow on the top of my head is growing at a very odd pattern. It's like if a madman... It's like the scene in... Uh, shit, I can never think of the name of the movie, but it's... Uh, it's Postcards from the Edge. Yes. It, How it did could, you it know? It's... Uh, what's his name? Martin Sheen mowing his lawn, like absolutely hammered. Like he comes home after drinking all night. And his wife's like, you were supposed to mow the lawn, but instead you went out drinking. He's like, I'll go do it now. And he's like mowing the lawn and like laughing like a fucking lunatic. And he just like destroys his his yard. And like you see it the next day. That's pretty much the same pattern on the top of my head. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, I have this nice brush with like a nice little uh, they call it a chunk, like this little circular thing inside of a tin. And I brush the uh, brush the soap chunk and then I put it on my head and it's like this nice warm shave you get the hot shaving cream on your oh my god it's the best it's the best very fancy yes we're fancy men apparently yes so we are a fancy dancer you you said that and uh full disclosure i was picking my nose so uh i don't feel so (laughs) fancy anymore but did you have your pinky up yeah, as long as your pinky's uh, up. You're oh, I, you know what? No, yeah, no joke. I did. That was my. Lucky for you, sir Kyle. Boogers are not classy, so wow. removing them keeps you at a level like us. Oh there my god! Go. See, oh, thank you, thank you for <laughs> qualling my insecurities on that one. So you guys are uh, first-time guests of the show. So what we like to hey, do? What the hell is that? So, I'm sorry. I said, yeah, we made it, but that that was. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was like a violent hiccup. Well, no, weren't we? We were on like one of those little bonus episode things you guys we, did. We did like a little interview at Rock and Shock, but this episode is all focusing on you guys. Oh shit! We got to. Th- so that's what that's what uh, this is. So, in honor of that, we have a little uh, a little thing we like to do with our guests. Uh, we call it getting into character, where. We ask you a few random ass questions, and uh, you know, let the folks at home get to know you a little better. Sounds hot. So, uh, Ashes, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. All right. So this question is actually for the both of you. Uh, name a movie that every time you watch it, you think to yourself, "God, I wish I had made that." Postcards from the Edge. <laughs> <laughs> Why is everyone laughing? Uh, I know that. Well, I know that's true. I know that's true. Think about that for a second. I, I mean, it was a great. I haven't seen the movie, but it was a great book. I haven't read the book. I didn't know it was a book. I'm uh, unfamiliar with that with that film. It's Carrie Fisher. Yeah, it's her basically her life story. Oh, it's right. actually oh okay. It's actually really good. 
but I don't wish that I made it. Oh, Kyle, that's, you got one that, ready to go? Because I'm that's not- tough. Because um, I think there's been a couple that sort of weave in and out of my my brain, um, and it depends on sort of like what season of life I'm in, if that makes any sense. And I, I think um, something like that I've been thinking about really recently has, and it's been since I've moved back to New England the past couple years, and have tried to figure out creatively how to how to work in new england um you know what i'm not gonna say one that i would like would have liked to have made but right out loud say something the battery um was the one that i was thinking of i don't think i would like to make it but i do think that the way that it was made has made me want to make a movie in that way if that makes any sense you know like six thousand dollars like with your friends like super simple and super poignant and still character driven um i don't think i would want to make that particular movie but i would like to make a movie in that style damn that was good that was good yeah put me on the fucking spot again bro i will <laughs> don't worry i will at least two to three times tonight i know oh, yeah. well um i'm gonna go in a kind of a different direction i'm a huge uh exploitation uh film fan uh with a real affinity for black exploitation films um and the film that i wish i made is black dynamite because it absolutely takes all of those amazing scenes from so many different black exploitation movies and puts this brilliant comedic turn on them uh black dynamite is so well written and it's just like lives in this world that shows this like immense love for those films. Cause I mean, the term black exploitation in general is kind of, you know, it's kind of a joke now and it's, it's not really like looked at as like this, like really smart visceral sort of filmmaking, but like they were able to take all of those like kind of tropes in black dynamite, poke fun at them, make it hilarious, but then also still kind of have that heart in the right place. And I wish that I was a smart enough writer to be able to do something like that. That's a good answer. Good. Right. Put that in <laughs> smoke it, Kyle. <laughs> Put that in your straw and suck it. Yeah. <laughs> Name of your sex tape. <laughs> so uh, I have a question now, uh, and this is also for both of you. <clears throat> Do you believe that violent crimes involving cannibalism should be granted leniency because it's less wasteful and better for the environment? Blah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and say... Uh, yeah, maybe they should just be a fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, how much would the fine be? Like, is it like per pound or like? Uh, well, it's like one of those things where it's like, uh, like a a parking ticket. So, like, the longer that you stay there, eventually, like, you're gonna get your ass towed. Like, eventually, if you eat more than three people, you're gonna, you know, go to jail, but uh, or get impounded. But it just goes up in increments. Starting at starting at two hundred dollars. <laughs> That's a weird answer. <laughs> it's a weird question. That was a weird question. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, if I can bring this back into the real world, uh, I feel as though the government needs to step in here and take accountability and tax the price of human flesh so yeah. that we can get a more streamlined use of it. So I feel that I am for attacks on cannibalism. Mm-hmm. within means yeah yeah uh, are we talking medical cannibalism or recreational cannibalism 
Ooh. And is it legal in every state, or does each state need to police itself? Well, I think yeah. in most states, the medical uh, cannibalism is legal. Not every state has recreational cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wisconsin right. definitely has recreational. <laughs> See, this would just all be solved if we just had recreational cannibalism like they do in Canada. Universal cannibalism is solved all their problems. It's, yeah, it's yeah, true. it's really amazing what it's really amazing what goes on up there. So, and uh, on an uh, on an aside, uh, flesh tax would be a great name for like an exploitation film. Wow, yes. yeah, flesh tax would be or no the really awesome hair metal band. <laughs> <laughs> That's true too. Yes. What's yeah. up, LA? We're flesh tax. <laughs> We're spelled with two X's. And a Z reason. (laughs) Well, that's how you know they're hardcore. (laughs) And the Z is in the flesh word. Yeah. (laughs) Flesh. F-L-E-Z-H. Flesh tax. Flesh tax. Unreal. Ashes, do you have another another question? Well, I mean, speaking of cannibalism, let's talk about food. If you guys were on death row... And you had to pick something for your last meal. What would it consist of? Tax free cannibalism. Yeah, tax free cannibalism. Michael Ravish Shadow Scrotum. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. You're such an asshole, dude. Also, also the fun. name of a hair metal band. <laughs> and your sex tape. <laughs> um, I. Uh... Peanut butter and jelly, bag of Lay's potato chips, like the one that you get at like a school cafeteria that's half air and half um, half chip. <laughs> and uh, most of those are smashed. And a, yeah, and a carton of chocolate milk. Wow! Way to aim for the uh, aim for the stars there. <laughs> hey, they're not going to let me have a butter knife, so I can't spread anything. <laughs> so that's all on them. Wait, what was the question? Death or death row. <laughs> Your death row meal. Death row meal would be uh, all of the poutine that I could possibly eat. Would you kill yourself with the poutine so you didn't have to? I would try so hard. Or I would make it so uncomfortable for everybody else in the room when they fire up the switch that it just wouldn't be worth it. (laughs) El Goro gave us a similar answer to that when we asked him, like, I don't know, two years ago. And he said he would just, like, load up on, like, mac and cheese and, like, bratwurst and shit like that. So that oh, his yeah. bowels just let go. Yes. Yep. Make it, make it as bad as you possibly can for the people behind you. All right. See, if, I, if I'm on death row, my guilt of whatever reason I'm on death row is so high that I'm really not trying to make anybody work. So I'm trying to be as low maintenance as possible. <laughs> Be like, yeah, I'm sorry. Just fucking kill me. Give I'll me a ju- peanut I'll just eat milk. a bunch of sponges. That way I clean up my own mess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so boring, Kucha. Yeah, well. So you, <clears throat> uh, you guys are both filmmakers. So my, my question for you is if you could have the career trajectory of any director, who would it be? Oof. Oh, that's interesting. Um, is it a cop out if I say Neil Breen? No, say, <laughs> say whatever you want. <laughs> oh man. Um, oh damn, that's a that's a really good one, and I don't want to give a stupid answer. <laughs> I I'm gonna so yeah, I don't know. I I've hmm. 
All right, you know what? I got. I, I I'll go. I'll go there. I, I'll go with James Gunn since he's in the news right now. Yeah. Um, you know, a guy that started off working with companies like Troma and making schlocky stuff like the stuff that we love and you know stuff that Kyle and I have really championed and stuff. Uh, you know, then moving into you know higher levels, he wrote Slither, and then you know he's worked on a bunch of stuff, and now you know he's done the Guardians of the Galaxy movie and really had a major influence on like the biggest movies. You know, essentially of all time. I mean, they, with the exception of maybe Star Wars or like Lord of the Rings, is there really like a series that's you know bigger than Marvel? So, um, somebody that's able to really kind of hone their craft and still have you know their chops because the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are so entertaining because there's kind of that like CD horror exploitation kind of underbelly lurking in them. Mm-hmm. So I think he's a really good example of it. Um, at least just in looking at, you know, director work and writing work and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to get into the, the politics, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But um, well, yeah, he's had a consistent voice, which has been really, really wonderful to see that not get sort of like written out. Or, yeah, he's just uh, grown is what it is since he started yeah, going totally. back to when he worked at Troma. Because he wrote, was it Terra Firma or like uh, one of those like weird ones? Yeah. He and, wrote Tromeo and Juliet. Yeah, that's what it was. Tromeo and Juliet, which I is think. bizarre. Yeah, um, yeah. He he would be a he'd be a really good person. I feel the model, except except not on Twitter. <laughs> not on Twitter. No, that's sure. fair. I'm yeah. gonna go ahead and say um, Larry Fessenden is really, really awesome in my eyes. I think that like he's an independent filmmaker who is really like he hasn't. He hasn't necessarily been like huge or over the top, but he is going to be one of those people who has always been able to set out and do the projects that he's wanted to do, support the projects that he's wanted to support, and um, help other filmmakers and champion other filmmakers um, into their own right. And he seemingly has done so from a from a place from an environment that he actually likes. Um, you know, I would love to be able to just do that, just be able to make the projects that I want to from the environment that I want to and have the people that are interested see them. That's all I really want in, in anything. And um, Larry, and to be able to help the people that I like and the artists that I appreciate make their own art too. Um, so Larry Fezzen is one that I, I really look up to. Nice. Those are both solid choices. And uh, Gunn, I was just looking it up. He wrote Tromeo and Juliet and Terra Farmer. So you. Oh, he wrote Terra Farmer too. Okay. So you were, you guys were both right on there. Terra Farmer was my first Troma movie, and <laughs> that's such a bad one to start on, dude. No, dude. I thought it was amazing. Like Ron, so Ron McKay and Kathy McKay, who still run the Troma booths at Rock and Shock and every East Coast Midwest convention that you ever see a Troma booth at. They sold me my first um, Troma DVDs, and they sold me. It was Tromeo and Juliet. Tr- excuse me, Tromeo and Juliet, Terra Firmer, and Toxic Avenger. I got like a three for deal. And you and didn't start with Toxic Avenger. I didn't know any. I didn't know anything about Troma. Like I didn't even have an inkling. I just thought they were a random booth at Rock and Shock, and I wanted to absorb whatever anybody was selling when I was fourteen, fifteen years old. So I didn't even know the history of. So I watched the one that was most like recently made <laughs> out of those, and Terra Firma was the one, dude. It blew my mind. I just picture like, um, was it Pinocchio when they go to Pleasure Island? Is the the guy with the cigar that's like, "Come in here, kid, check." Yeah, it. <laughs> <laughs> that was 
Definitely. He's like, Kathy's like, get the hat on and the cigar. He's like, come on, kid. Take a look at what we got. You'll love it. I do forget that guy's name. I know Stromboli was the other guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The puppeteer guy, but I forget yeah, that guy's know, name. Yeah, you know the scene I'm talking about, though. It's, yeah, yeah, when they all turn into fucking donkeys. Such hmm. a B, and I can't remember it. I can't remember it. Like, great, great flick. So, uh,. I want to thank you guys for answering those questions uh, so candidly and honestly. So what what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are just going to dive right into uh, Survival of the Film Freaks and and uh, everything that you guys got going on with that. I, just, I don't know how much I'll have to offer because I haven't seen the movie, so I just... It's, it's weird because it's actually the only movie I watch. <laughs> <laughs> So this will be a Bill Heavy episode. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be back in just a minute. So, Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band. We destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and trick-or-treat radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you <laughs> took a shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Okay. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The okay. box, right? The box and the monkeys. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon, and you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. Good evening, future passengers. Are you ready to sit back, relax, and join us on a ride of epic proportions through the mystical land of randomness? Am I a serial killer if I eat Lucky Charms? What would it be like if horror characters ran a gym? Who would run spin class? When a shark jumps out of the water, is it like suffocating for that split second? So join us every week for a brand new derailment with Goo. Boobs, Ripkin, and Jenny Bean. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Derailers. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on YouTube. Have a great night or day, folks. We're back. <clears throat> yeah. Right. yeah. You guys are still here, too. Oh, that's good. I stayed. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Otherwise, this would have been a weird conversation. If we'd been asking questions, no one would have been answering them. So, how many would you ask before you actually were like, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore? No more than seven. Ah. I would just I'd be like, oh, well, I see you don't want to answer that either. What are you hiding? <laughs> So, we got the chance to watch the uh, the film. You guys were 
kind enough to share that with us, let us in on that a little bit. And, um, you know, obviously we took advantage of that. Um, what, um, you know, I know, Ashes, you got some questions, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you start? So I guess to kind of kick things off, what inspired you to actually put something together like this? Like what kind of sparked something that said, hey, I want to make a documentary on this subject and interview all these people and put this together? Should I should should we should we fall into line, Kyle? I feel I feel like yeah, I feel like your origin story, Bill. Over all here. right, here's the origin story. Uh, well, um, get those James Gunn chops going. Yeah, let me let me let me. I don't know. I got nothing. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I obviously I, ho- I host outside the cinema, which is a cult movie podcast available at outside the cinema.com available on iTunes, Stitcher, and all podcast locations. Um, and I've been doing it for over eleven years now, and we've always focused on cult films. Pretty much the entire time, every now and then we would kind of fall into other stuff. But so I've been doing the podcast for, you know, 500 and something episodes. And I was kind of like, I have all this information. And the way my kind of like work life was going on, I was unhappy with what I was doing for work and was just like, you know, like, I, I just feel like I need to do something with all this years of just like picking up movie information and all these ideas. And, Around that same time, I'd had a conversation with Adam Green, the director of Hatchet at Rock and Shock, about torrenting and downloading on the internet and stuff because the timing of it was right after his film Frozen had come out and it had hit the torrent sites before the Blu-ray and DVD had hit shelves. So he was in a you know a, a freak out because he was having a situation where his movie was being downloaded hundreds of thousands of times, and we just had this conversation about things. And being a guy that did a co movie podcast, I you know had more experience with stuff because they were trying to locate films wasn't wasn't easy. Everything wasn't available on streaming and Blu Ray and DVD and collector's editions. There was no you know there was only a couple of labels then that were putting that stuff out like synapse and like there was no vinegar syndrome. There was no scream factory. None of that stuff was around yet. So we just had this kind of back and forth conversation. I played devil's advocate with it and it gave me the idea to be like, Hey, this would make a really good documentary to talk about all of the different ways that these films have made it to people over the years. So that kind of put the seed in. And then a couple of years later, like the way my kind of work situation turned around and the time opened up to be able to potentially do something like this. So I didn't, I I mean, I'm not a trained filmmaker. I didn't go to film school or anything like that. The most I'd ever shot for video was stuff that I, you know, promotional stuff I shot for the podcast. So it wasn't even like I'd ever really touched, you know, a professional camera or anything. Um, So I just was like, this would be a really good idea. And I was trying to think of some specifics for it. So I wrote down a whole bunch of stuff. I streamed out all this, like when I say like stream of consciousness, it was literally just like, pages and pages and pages of like no margins no punctuation nothing spelled properly of just like cult cinema knowledge of specific movies and time periods and kind of how i discovered them and why i love them and wrote it all out and i'm like okay this this could make a really interesting documentary we've seen a lot of cult movie documentaries but we've never seen one that is explored the technology of how these films are getting to people because the thing about a cult movie is how it gets to people and becomes a cult property. So I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, I know Kyle and I had known Kyle because I was in his documentary phantasm and we had kept in touch and become friends. And I was like, well, you know, if anyone would know kind of where to start with this, Kyle would. 
So I called him up and I was like, hey, man, I don't know if you're interested in working on another documentary or not. But I'm like, I got this idea. I think it's pretty cool. I think it would be um, really fun to do and really just be able to kind of like, you know, make something special out of it. So I sent him all the information. I sent him all the, the the random pages, the ideas, the outline, all that stuff. And he got back to me pretty quickly and was like, yeah, this sounds awesome. I think this would be really cool. What do you want me to – like, what do, you, what do you need from me? What do you want me to do? And I was like, well, I'm like, I want you to make it with me. I'm like, let's split everything 50-50. We'll co-direct. We'll co-produce. We'll co-write. And we'll, you know, we'll be a team and we'll attack it as a team since you've got the skill sets uh, where I don't. And then I've got the other side of it so that, like, you know, we can meet in the middle and we can have everything we need and not have to necessarily rely on a lot of other people. Yeah, and I think that, like, that was really appealing to me, not just in the idea that, like, we could split it up, but, like, the the passion and the uh, interest and the knowledge that I knew Bill had, Um it was, it was good that we had already had like a, a relationship before, but we were our, but I was living in LA at the time and he was in Boston and, you know, I was trying to figure out what I was doing and, um, I, to be totally candid, living out in LA is not super easy and trying to like figure out, um, how to work in LA is not super easy. Uh, and I had only been there maybe a year when Bill reached out to me. Um, maybe, maybe it was two, but it was pr- still pretty young and I was, you know, c- continuously f- getting into roadblocks and, um, not finding people to collaborate with. And, um, it's very, it's a very, uh, self-centered area <laughs> to be in. So when Bill approached me, it was really, really nice to hear a familiar voice and somebody who was really enthusiastic and wanting to get stuff made and not, um, from the environment where people are kind of hemming and hawing and, not really saying they're making stuff and not really working towards it. Um, that's not how I work. Uh, so that was really exciting. Um, and it's also a topic that I'm interested in. I mean, I grew up on maybe not cult movies, but I grew up on horror. Um, and that was really, there's a lot of crossover there. Um, that's how I met Bill anyway. So it was really, uh, it was really an exciting, uh, prospect and I'm glad that we, we obviously did it because now here we are. Nice. So, that was actually going to be one of the, the questions I asked was <clears throat> was going to be your thoughts on, on Torrance, but we can maybe get to that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the things that you know kind of struck me as I'm watching the documentary is, you know, there's this, uh, I don't know, for the last 10, 15 years or so, there's been a lot of these movies, and, you know, the first one everybody always brings up is Sharknado. It's uh-huh. like people are trying to make cult films. And I feel like if you try to make a cult film, your film should automatically be disqualified because that's not how it happens. Like it should happen organically. Like, you know, is that something you guys agree with? Or you think I'm talking out my ass? I no, I, 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 I agree. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we talk about Sharknado kind of briefly in the documentary too, in terms of like it being a, you know, um, a fair, I mean, not, it wasn't big budget, but like it was plastered all over sci-fi and it was everywhere. So it's really tough to, for something like that to come out of the gate being thrown in your face. Whereas for me, like most cult films are things that, you know, either miss the mark on that first try or things that just kind of like maybe were popular and then kind of, you know, lost their shine or whatever. But like, 
like Sharknado is a good example of like it not even really necessarily being inspired by like classic cult stuff because it's just so off the wall and like in your face. Like most of the cult movies that I've always loved have been ones that like succeed in their net in their ineptitude, not like going for inept. Like it's it's a different world. It's like I totally have got no problem with somebody, you know, being really inspired by, you know, old exploitation movies or just like, you know, so bad it's good. Like I there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're focusing on just being like the craziest, wildest, wackiest thing going, like that's where I just I just don't it doesn't it doesn't hit me the way something else would. It's you know I know it has its place and I know people love stuff like that and I know people love stuff like Birdemic and you know, like Oof. something for something for me, like the room is that that's okay, yeah, that's a real cult movie because of the way it got its popularity. Like when it came out, it was laughed at and then people realized that like there's this weird sort of demented brilliance in this that was never meant to be watched the way people are watching it. And that's what makes it enjoyable. But yeah, Sharknado yeah. is just like everything. It's just like everything thrown at the wall and whatever sticks, they're like, okay, that's what we're going to go with. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, that's the Sharknado's um, relationship to the the definition of cult is just one of many. It's like cult is not to go into it, but like there's, there's subgenres of cult or there's, there's different reasons that a film becomes cult, maybe not subgenres, but there's different reasons that a film becomes cult. So one of them is so bad. It's good. What? It's not, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Kyle, but no, it's okay. not a genre. No, like, no, it's not. People don't it's... realize that people look at like, Oh, it's a cult movie. And then I'm going to think, Oh, well that, that must mean it's a horror movie. No cult is not a genre. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So subgenres isn't even the right term. It's like the different ways that it gets to be cult. There's different paths that a film follows to get to be cult. Sometimes it's so bad it's fun to watch cults. Sometimes it is a hidden gem that didn't get the respect it deserved. Like there's but the the lowest common denominator is to be that make a bad movie so that people watch it to watch how bad it is. And that's not like for me that's really difficult to get on board with you know uh, i think that sharknado it, it it has that um that spirit of it but it's also a movie that's backed by sci-fi who has a, a a good enough budget to make a movie about a shark tornado like you know what i like that's still i owned by nbc universal yeah yeah absolutely they're a division of universal like it's you know it's I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. And I understand the appeal. And obviously, like, I mean, I think that it's opened. I mean, we can't ever knock something like that because I or comp- entirely because I think that it's opened up people's eyes to some other things that have existed, which is really cool. But for the most part, it's made for an audience that doesn't know what cult is. Right. And I also think that, like, you fast forward 20 years down the road, nobody's going to be freaking out over Sharknado. You no. know what I mean? Like, it's just not, there's no, there's not enough offered in it to be like, oh my God, Sharknado. No, no, there's really not. And I mean, it's, it's made for, it's made for a particular crowd. And I don't think that that crowd is a crowd that champions movies past the year or two that they're there. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely a fair statement. Um, so, <clears throat> You know, Ashes and I both have a, a similar question, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, as far as like, you know, what makes a film a cult film. So, like, to you, what is your personal definition? Because, like, we, like you just said, it's it's not a genre. 
I mean, yeah. for me, one of my favorite movies of all time is, you know, I, I consider it a cult film because it didn't have a, you know, it didn't have a real theatrical run. It was in the theaters less than a week. Uh, the Warriors. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So something like that, like that's a really solid movie. It's got good acting. It's got, you know, good action. You know, it wasn't made on a shoestring budget. And, you know, that's like the type of thing I look for. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, like you guys said, you know, schlocky over-the-top horror or, you know, ridiculous situations like Sharknado or I don't know if either of you guys are familiar with the film One-Eyed Monster with Ron Jeremy. Uh, which, what, site, what sites do you subscribe to? It's, a, it's an actual, She and I have both watched it. It was actually on Netflix. It's about uh, an alien parasite that uh, infiltrates Ron Jeremy's dick while he's filming a, a, a porn with a bunch of people out in a remote cabin in the woods, and his dick rips off and starts killing people. So wow. it's a It's a biopic. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, so for you guys, what... I am, I am mad about that, actually. <laughs> so, okay. it, it does have a great scene in it where everyone's like, like, you guys, come quick. What is it? Angel has a dick in her mouth. And they're like, yeah, so? It's like, it's not attached to anything. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, for you shit. guys, what what constitutes a cult film? Like, what is it that, you know... To you, like, maybe it's it's not a definition. You know, it's like Larry Flint. You know, I know it when I see it. You know, like when they asked him sure. to describe pornography. What is it? Well, not yeah. you, the, the lawyer. Uh, <laughs> so what do you guys say? I mean, I don't I don't I don't hate that idea. I, I know it when I see it. I, I, I think for me, um, cult is something Cult is a film that is championed by people who are not, um, I mean, they can be cinephiles, they can be people interested in filmmaking, but it's mostly championed by people who are not trying to make a buck off that movie. It's championed by people who really thoroughly enjoy the movie, who want to spread the word about the movie, um, for whatever reason because it's fun to watch because it's masterfully made because the story behind it is ridiculous. Um, it's a film, but that's championed by the people and not by, um, corporations or publicists or, um, people of that ilk. That's and that is the greatest answer to that question I've ever given. Congratulations, okay. you guys. That's, <laughs> that's wow. Good. You got, you got it. Damn. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm in the same boat as Kyle for the most part. Um, but expounding upon it a little bit, I mean, like anything. Like I know I kind of just shit all over Sharknado, but like anything can be a cult movie as long as it has a dedicated, you know, fan base. That can be a fan base of one, and that that one person just really loves that movie. Like that's a cult movie to them. Like you know, people kind of always are like, "Well, is Star Wars a cult movie?" In a, in a weird sort of way, it is because it has such a fanatical fan base. Like, there's no clear-cut definition of what a cult movie is. It, it's different to every person. We interviewed, I don't know, 27, 28 people for the movie, and we got 27 different definitions of what a cult movie is because it was one of the questions we asked just about everybody. So I don't think there's really kind of a way to, to, to peg it down. I think there's kind of a general understanding of what a cult movie is. It's usually some type of weird genre film that's out there or something that's a little bit off the norm, like 
you know, we joked about stuff like postcards from the edge and stuff earlier in the show, but like nobody's going to be like out there championing sleepiest in Seattle or films like that is becoming yeah. cult films because yeah, they have a dedicated fan base, but I think kind of like the stigma or not, maybe not stigma, but like the feeling around general cult films is they are the more weird out there type films, which is why they don't usually catch on on their original release. But that doesn't mean that something can't catch on and then become a cult movie later on. I think one of the best examples used in the movie was when Jeff Nelson from Scream Factory talks about Showgirls and how Showgirls had a ton of money put into it. You know, it made crap money when it was released, but through the years now has become a cult movie because as you watch it, despite the fact that it was made to be like a big budget, like not blockbuster, but like they were going for like mainstream audiences, it is just a really, really weird movie. And most of those cult movies that were made in the studio system. If you look at them now, they're weird movies, whether yeah. it's a horror picture or Phantom of the Paradise or like these films that just like, you know, they put a bunch of money into them and then they're just weird. I think that's a big part of it. I don't like yeah. you know, you're not going to see Meg Ryan, you know, showing up at the, the conventions because she made so many cult movies because nobody is going to follow that. It's 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 something you got to buy into, I think, too. So yeah. I don't know. there's a lot to it. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. Like, it's 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 going to be different for every person. Because um, what I think is a cult film, you know, is not the same what you guys would think. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of overlap. Like, you know, these are some pretty wide Venn diagrams. But there's probably, you know, there's always going to be those outliers that, you know, just don't fit the mold of what other people think. Like you said, it could be one person who considers it a cult film. So, Ashes, I know you've you've got some some stuff. Yeah, so one of the subjects that you touch upon in the documentary is the importance of box art. And especially in the days of uh, video stores and, you know, renting the videos and, and whatnot. Um, these artists created these crazy pieces of, of work that were either really intricate or really simple. But whatever it was, it was something that really grabbed your attention now, in your opinion, do you think that technology has stifled the creativity of box artists? I I think it's it, it's it's limited it. Yeah. Because you don't get out there and have the nice big boxes to hold anymore. I mean, yes, obviously still Blu-rays and DVDs are still, you know, they're the they're the norm. And I think to a point when you're scrolling through Netflix or Amazon Prime or any of those, the art is still there, but you can't pick it up and hold it and flip it over and look at stills on the back of it. So it isn't impactful as it used to be because it's so much easier to just quickly scroll by stuff when you're looking at a streaming service. Um, and I don't think it's done purposely. I know I'm guilty of it. Kyle is obviously very guilty of it. But like you just guilty you, is charged. You get into that like mindset of you're just like no, 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 no. But you'll still yeah. even when you're watching um like it happens with me with Shutter all the time because Shutter is actually a really good service to they are almost always on point with taking the original theatrical art and mm -hmm. using that as their still yeah on there. Netflix and Amazon Prime, not not as much, but I feel like Shutter because it's kind of run by people that are in this world with us. Um, will always do that, and I find myself stopping and looking at their stuff and being more interested in it because they do make it more in your face. Like it's a bigger, you know, it's bigger on the screen than it is on a Netflix or a Hulu or especially Amazon. Amazon makes everything so friggin' small when you're trying to read it. No doubt. Like I think it's still a part of it, but it's not. 
it's not as impactful as it used to be. Yeah, I think that like the one big. I mean, it's great again for fans because I think that there are people who are preserving those things. There are people who are expounding on them. I mean, Mondo and all their posters that come out. I mean, they aren't necessarily using the original box art for those things. However, they are still celebrating the films and making artwork that celebrates that particular movie. Um, and on the flip side of that, I mean, something like Netflix, who will take one of their originals that you, I mean, so say a Netflix original came out in 1990 and you had to go get it on the on VHS, the video store, they would have the one poster art and you would be stuck with that. But like Netflix will continuously change their artwork for whatever particular movie in a obviously an advertising ploy to try to get you to pick that not thinking that it was the movie that you saw the last time you were scrolling through netflix and i think that that does a disservice to a movie that um well now i'm gonna maybe go back and forth but for right now it does a disservice (laughs) to the movie um because i don't think that you get to stick with like one connection you can't just be like that's the movie that it is and I'm going to take it for what it is. It's like they're trying to, it's such a marketing ploy that it becomes that other than just the one amazing image, like now they're trying to cheat me. It feels like, um, you know, so I think that like for cult fans that we still really stick to that. And things like Bill said, like shutter are really good about it, but there are plenty of other, um, corporations and organizations that are trying to steer away from that. Now in that, same vein um i do want to quickly stick up for uh for amazon because after watching the film sunday night on monday um i was going through amazon looking through some like old you know older films Mm -hmm. and a few of the ones that popped up that i was like i've never seen these but based on this art that they that they have provided i need to see them and death stalkers is one of them yeah (laughs) Um, so I added <laughs> yeah. that Saturn three and galaxy of terror. Like, don't Oh no, stay, stay clear. Saturn three, man. Obviously <laughs> I don't, I'm just trying to expand my horizons and see as much as I can, because I, uh, you know, I was one of those, let me look at the box art. Let me look at the box art. Let me look at the box art for all these different movies. And then, settle in and get the same three movies I always get. Monster Squad, yep. Godzilla 1985, and The Making of Thriller. <laughs> I finally, after years, I remember seeing this a thousand times as a kid, and I always wanted to watch it. Deep Star 6. Because oh, of that, the, yeah. the art, I just watched it this past October. So Let's get your boy Greg Evigan in it. Yeah. He was one of the one of the dads on My Two Dads. I mean, what? <laughs> What's up? My two dads. That was with uh, Dick Butkus, right? Uh, now you're talking about my dad, and I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so my question that kind of ties in to what Asha says is, um, do you feel like trailers nowadays are sort of the new box art where they try to make it look as enticing as possible? You know, and like what was said in the documentary and I think specifically about Deathstalkers is here's this scene on the front of the box that never happens in the movie and you get trailers now with you're like oh my god that looks amazing I can't like the first thing that pops to my mind is Infinity War last year and you see this scene like here's the Hulk and all these guys charging down and none of that shit ever happened in the 
in the movie. So do yeah. you think trailers have kind of replaced box art as, you know, the medium to kind of, you know, grab your attention? Yeah, I mean, I think they've had to. I mean, I think just just by nature that they've had to be that. I think marketing is mar- the idea of marketing has never changed. It's like to get pe- get butts in seats or get somebody to buy the movie or uh, whatever, or get somebody to stream it. Even I mean, that that's not going to make you the the money that you want it to, but it's also going to get you somewhere. So it's like the way that you do that is by putting out something that's over the top sometimes it's spoiling the movie like sometimes the trailers are there to spoil the movie but that you will still go see in hopes that maybe they didn't spoil the movie um (laughs) or sometimes it's to put together a trailer of footage that's not necessarily there but is exciting and action-packed and something that's gonna entice people to get to check out the film and i mean that's exactly what box art always was but you never got to necessarily complain about it as much to anybody because like, that's just on you. That's a one to one ratio at that point. Now with trailers, it's a one to a million people who watch the trailer ratio. Right. So, I mean, they, the way that they do it is different, but the end product is still the same. But in this world now too, there's also like so many more trailers. Yeah. I mean, Infinity War is a perfect example. There was what three teasers and then like four theatrical trailers for for that. Like that. Yeah. There's no like Star Wars comes out and then you'll have your your like teaser teaser and then like an actual teaser and then a second teaser and then your first your first theatrical trailer and then a second theatrical trailer and then you have twenty five different thirty like thirty second TV spots. I feel like they 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 do so much more work with that stuff now to try to just bury it on you to just be like. You can't miss this, and I know myself, especially for major pictures. Like, I won't wa- like so, like a, Avengers is a perfect example. I haven't watched any of the Endgame trailers. I don't. I know I want to go watch it. I'm just I stay steer clear of it because I don't. I want to experience it. Like for the for the first time, I don't want to have seen the same scene a hundred times in the trailer going into the film. So there's a definitely a difference there because they're. The box art doesn't show you what you really want to see, like, or it shows you what you really want to see, but you don't know if it's going to be there. But in the yeah. trailer, they just hammer it home so much that, like, they hope you're not even going to notice that that shot, like, that you saw in the trailer, that was really awesome, got cut from the final, you know, final cut of the movie. And half the time, those trailers are cut before the movie's cut, so they don't even know. They put the stuff in the trailer and not even knowing that it's not going to make the actual theatrical release. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of a. Uh... A frustrating thing when it comes to that as well. So, so I totally agree with your assessment on on that, where like the box art, it's just a static image, you know, and you don't have, you know, nine hundred different YouTube guys going, oh well, you see this shadow here, this could be in the shape of the Silver Surfer, and you know maybe he comes. It's like okay, so t- yeah, but you know what though, it's tough because even we ran into that because. We cut a teaser trailer and then a, th- and a theatrical trailer, I guess. But we'd also run at Rock and Shock two years ago. We ran a like a sizzle reel for the film before we'd actually started cutting it down. And I would say fifty percent of the stuff that we screened in that twenty minute promo never made it to the final cut of the movie. Yeah, so, and that wasn't done purposely. That was just like we, you know, we had the time we wanted to use it, so we were able to put something together. But we didn't even end up using, I'd say, half the stuff that we had in that. Yeah, sometimes sometimes the exciting stuff or the the appealing stuff doesn't necessarily tell the story that you want to make. So it's like, 
And I mean, I think uh, advertising people will take advantage of that. But I sound like a conspiracy theorist. I mean, we did. <laughs> we took we took advantage of that. Like we showed a bunch of shit that, like, you know, we we didn't know we weren't going to put in the movie, but like we didn't know at the time. You know, sometimes it's just that. Sometimes it's just you don't know that you're not going to use that, but like you want people to know that it exists and that you want people to see your final product no matter what. Okay, so I want to. Uh shift gears a little bit and I want to shift it. I want to um, kind of bring things around to kind of what we were talking about earlier. And that's torrenting. Now I look at it as there are times when it's okay to torrent and times when it's not, or what I should say time, you know, watching something online, like you guys gave us a screener and we watched it online, but at the same time, We've also paid to see or for the movie. You know, we we got the the, the Blu-ray that I can't wait for my cassette soundtrack. Thank you. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. So I don't mind Thank watching it much. for free. Oh, you're more than welcome. I don't mind I, watching it. Sorry, for no. Free. I had to ask him. I was like, do we even have a tape player? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I have an old ass like Sony. Like receiver with like all the different things you can hook, can hook up to it. Like, you know, I got the tape deck, the CD player, the the fucking. Well, the good news is you'll digital download of the soundtrack also, so you don't yes. actually need to play it. You just put it on the shelf and make it look pretty. Oh, yeah, well, then that's good. Yeah, just, he was just he was so excited about the cassette tape, and I was like, "Hold the phones! Do we even have a cassette <laughs> player? Like, do they even make those anymore? They do. <laughs> they do actually. Hard to find. Rare, rare yeah, but to uh, you know, to, to that point, like that to me is a situation where, like, okay, this is okay. I paid for this movie, and I don't mind watching it for free. In addition to the fact that you guys were like, here, it would be nice if you could talk semi intelligently about our film in a couple of days. Yeah. So what are what are your thoughts on you know is it ever okay? Are there times when you know it's yeah. So go um. Ahead. Yeah, uh, I feel like I can speak on this probably uh, pretty well. Not the Kyle Camp, but um, doing – I'll tell you, doing a cult movie podcast really kind of changed the way that I look. I looked at things. You know, Going back a number of years, like I said kind of back when we were talking about the, the genesis of the film, like you didn't have collector's editions of every amazing you know, Italian horror film back you know, 10 years ago. Like – when you know, I started doing outside the cinema. Like you couldn't even get, like you couldn't get the Jodorowsky movies, like El Topo and The Holy Mountain. Like you had to find nefarious copies of those because they weren't available anywhere. And I'm a big one for you know, if the movie's been made, people should be able to see it. It shouldn't be held off somewhere just because you know lack of interest or like I understand when there's situations with like you know rights and things like that and trying to figure out who should be getting paid for what there's those situations that will keep things from from coming out but there's just a lot of movies and especially cult movies that just aren't going to get re-released because there's just not enough of a demand for them or like you know the right holders have passed away and there's no you know f- no way to figure out who holds the rights so I'm a firm believer that torrenting and stuff like that has its place. You should absolutely, you know, support your filmmakers and support the people where you can. But like the the example I always use is this film called Alabama's Ghost, which 
is one of my favorite, just like bizarre off the wall movies. And it is not available anywhere to purchase a legal copy of it. Essentially, you can watch it on YouTube because someone uploaded the VHS on YouTube, or you can scour the internet and maybe come across a copy of it on VHS for five to eight hundred or more dollars because it's just not around anywhere. The director passed away last year. There's no idea where the rights are held or if there's a 35-millimeter print or where it is. So should that movie just never be seen again because there isn't a way for them to get you know a DVD or a Blu-ray or get it added to a streaming service somewhere? I mean, I think that's, that's silly to just be like, well, this movie will now disappear forever because no one's taken the time to put out a good version of it. So I think that's a really good example of like this amazingly bizarre – and when I say amazingly bizarre, I mean the movie is awful – but it is so entertaining. Um, I highly recommend it. If that's all they, that matters. I, yeah, it's like it's 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 bananas. Uh, it's off the wall. It's crazy. But like those are a situation where like yeah, that's where if you got to get torn a copy of that film to get to get a copy of it. Okay, that's the only way to do it. You know, so it's the type of thing where it's like yeah, I mean you should definitely you know be try to be responsible and try to support you know, up and coming filmmakers and, you know, especially independent filmmakers. Like if you're out there downloading all the independent films and all the horror, you know, like the low budget horror films and stuff like that, like those are the types of things that kill careers. Like, you know, if everyone just downloaded our movie off of, off of whatever site they want to, you know, somebody uploads it, you know, we want to make more stuff. You know, if we don't get, you know, some money at some point, we can't make more stuff. Like it's this idea now. And it's a generational thing that has a lot to do it with it too. I think because in this day and age, people that have grown up with the internet, like I remember what it was like to have to try to search out a Blu-ray or not even a Blu-ray, a VHS of something you were trying to find. Like I remember those days, like it's not like that anymore because everything is so readily available, but it's definitely the type of thing. Oh yeah. I'll I'll get that momentarily Um, where you, you have everything available to you, but not everything is available still. So sometimes you have to go to those means, but support the people that need the support, I guess is kind of the best way I think to put it. Yeah. I mean, if you, I, I think that like, if you're able, which you are because you have the internet, everybody is able to do so. Now, if you're torrenting something, you're able to look into the film that you're trying to torrent. And it's like, if there is available means, if there are people who, you aren't supporting by doing that, especially with the newer films, which inevitably, hey, spoiler alert, you're definitely affecting somebody like by by downloading their film that they just put out last year or something like that. Like that's you're you're affecting those people's those people and their livelihood and their artistic visions. However, if you're able to look up something like Alabama's Ghost and realize that like Oh yeah, there's not a lot of information that doesn't look like it's gonna really affect anybody or any of their like future endeavors. <laughs> then I, I think that you have reason to maybe go about it that way. I mean, I think uh, you have all the information available to you. You shouldn't have a question as to whether or not it's going to be a problem. Um, I mean, and, but that just comes down to a. Mo- but then it starts to come down to a moral compass whether or not you think that you have the right to somebody's art for free. Um, and then that's where it gets a little hairy. Um, and obviously I don't uh, think that you do, but other people obviously think that they have the right to that. And that's where it gets weird. So like then, 
I mean, then it just becomes a, a moral thing. But, um, but I mean, I think Bill's right. I mean, there's so there's so many ways to find out the correct information, and there's so many ways to see something that was meant to be seen. Like those films are meant to be seen. So, um, you know, you have to use your resources to do so. Right. And I think the thing, some of the, with the, the fact that technology is caught up and we have all these different streaming services, if you're really a movie fan, still find other ways to support those films. Yeah. If just because, like, because stuff is available on Amazon Prime or if it's available on Netflix, like, I'm sorry, you know, filmmakers like us aren't getting rich off of, you know, our product getting streamed off of a website like that. No, no, like, no. You guys saw what you get paid when stuff streams on Amazon Prime. Like, it's, it's laughable what it takes to actually generate a dollar. So like if you find a filmmaker, an up and coming filmmaker that has like stuff that you're into, like buy a physical copy of the movie or better yet, buy a t-shirt and then wear that t-shirt to a horror convention. And mm-hmm. when people ask about it, tell them about it. Like those are the things that are going to really help independent filmmakers. Like you can stream a movie a thousand times on Amazon prime and it's not going to, it's not going to help really. I mean, it, I mean, it, it helps in terms of like the name recognition and people seeing it and stuff like that. But like, if you really want to get more stuff from independent filmmakers, find better ways to support them. Even if it's just through using word of mouth where you just post about it on Facebook or you post about it on Instagram or yep. you know, any of those ways, that's the stuff that's going to really help. Again, all of this information is so easily accessible. Like you can find that filmmaker's Twitter handle that you like. So you can find their Instagram page. You can find their online store. You can find all of these things so easily. And you can support them so easily. Um, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just hard to think that you couldn't do that now. And that's you know, a, a lot of the reason why you know, we wanted to have you guys on the show. It's because... You know, you know, we're not made of money, but, mm-hmm. you know, we try to support people as best we can, you know, and, right. you know, buying physical copies, you know, we bought your movie, like, I own all of Carando's movies, because awesome. not only are, you know, am I trying to support this guy who's a good dude, the films are, they're fucking good, so mm-hmm. why wouldn't I, you know, and, you know, again, we don't have, like, this huge reach, but anything that we can do, you know, you know, it really helps to, you know, get the word out there. And it's much appreciated. I mean, I don't, I think that like in an age where social economy is so prevalent and so appreciated that like, this is, this is great. You know what I mean? Like these are, these are the ways that things get talked about. These are to relate it back. This is how cult films get created in the present day. Like, you know, through stuff like this. Right. Um, it's a hundred percent. That's, I mean, it's a hundred percent valid and, and really appreciated. So we have one more question for you guys before we let you go. Yeah. The answer is slave to the grind by Skid Row. <laughs> <laughs> that was, ah, God, you're on fire today. I was going to say the same thing. Obviously. Um, are there any films say of the past 15, 20 years that you imagine could have been cult films, but they were handled Maybe the wrong way, like the example I was thinking of is Cloverfield, the first Cloverfield film. Mm-hmm. Wasn't exactly like a huge success. Like it had some some interesting viral marketing that went along with it, but now it's been kind of like beaten down. You know, it, they had the, the 10 Cloverfield Lane, which wasn't a sequel, wasn't a sequel. 
you know, ask 10 people, you get 10 different answers. Then you have the Cloverfield Paradox, and then you have, you know, Overlord, which was supposed to be a Cloverfield sequel somehow. So is there anything like that that you were like, man, this if this was handled slightly different and they didn't make 45 of these or they didn't, you know, go in this direction, could have been a cult film? Hmm. Hmm. Like, is right. The human centipede, something like that. Like if it did. I think, um, I think a lot of that stuff from the late 2000s that was picked up, made, or distributed by major studios, things like, um, things like The Hills Run Red or, um, oh, I don't know. Uh, I think things like maybe even, honestly, even Romero's sort of stuff, things that were like uh, later stuff like Survival or Diary. I don't think that they're great films, but I think that they could have had, uh, so, you know, something like The Ruins. Um, Actually, I just think watched a lot that of, yesterday. I think a lot of those things sort of fall by the wayside because of the time and place that they were put out. Um and because I, I I think that contextually, like they they could have been cult films, but however, they were um, bloated with money. Uh, not the films themselves, but like they were amongst a, a sea of things that were uh, you know filled with a lot of money and um, marketed poorly and just sort of thrown out there to get the last of what the blockbuster money was going to come in from those things, you know the last of the blockbuster or best buy and Walmart physical media money that you were going to get from those. Um, I think that those could have had a following um, still do have a following in some realms, but sort of fall short of that. And then you think of, I think, I think of a lot of those movies that came out on like dimension extreme and um, other small rogue pictures. There's like one or two of those films that could have really, garnered a lot of interest but they sort of got lost in the shuffle because they were in a sea of just mass yeah. mass distribution yeah i think wolf creek is a really good example yeah. too of that yeah. like that i think that was distributed in the states by like dimension extreme or rogue or one of those ones where it's like this really nasty like well-made outback horror flick but so many like torture porn-esque films were released at that, you know, from like 2003 to like 2008 that like some of those really good films just got missed. And yeah. So like you said, there were so many of them. So, I mean, that's what happens. It's like you just get, you get lost in the shuffle of that. And there's a lot of gems that I think, honestly, I think we could still come across in the next five, 10 years and be like, oh my God, that movie came out, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? You know, I think I I hope that we see more of those come up. Uh, murder, like Jeremy Saulnier's Murder Party, is one of my favorite ho- like Halloween movies, um, and it's amazing. And I think with his success with uh, Blue Ruin, Green Room, True Detective, all of these things, like Murder Party is going to get discovered again. I think it's on Shutter or Netflix now. It's on um, yeah, one of them. Yeah, and I think that that like. Those got just told. Uh, Magnolia put that out. Magnolia and Magnet Pictures put those things out. That they were just like churning out all these independent movies that will then get a garner interest later on in life. But they definitely didn't make their their money or their cult status back then. Yeah, there's there's so many of these films where it's like, you know, take a film like 
green room, you know, <laughs> and it's like, oh, have you ever seen that? And people are like, what is that? Or the one I bring up that, like, fucking nobody has ever seen, Four Rooms. Like, Four Rooms. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, they're like, oh, well, who's in it? It's like, oh, a bunch of fucking nobodies, you know, Tarantino, <laughs> Bruce Willis, you know, like, all these fucking people. And people are like, really? Well, who directed it? Well, you know, a bunch Four of fucking different. nobodies. <laughs> <laughs> And it's this brilliant fucking film, and no one's ever heard of it, you know. Yeah. So I'm kind of hoping stuff like Wolf Creek I'm familiar with. Some of these other ones you guys mentioned I I am not familiar with, but I'm writing them down so I can get familiar with them. I also think some of the later um, films later in series can find find a way to become cult films just because of how ridiculous they are. This is going to be a stretch. Hang with me for a sec here, though. Stretch it out. Stretch it out. Austin Powers gold member. Oh, hell yeah, dog. Like is ripe to be rediscovered as a cult film because it did, you know, well at the box office, but like it was universally panned as just being ridiculous at the time. And the Austin Powers thing, it really kind of came and went and like it came out a couple years after the second sequel. And by then people were all set with it, but like you go back and you watch it now and it's just like, what the hell was Mike Myers thinking when he, they made this movie? It, and it's got Beyonce in it before Beyonce was, you know, the the, the queen that we all know she is now. Was she Foxy Cleopatra? Yes. Foxy yeah. Cleopatra. Cleopatra. And it's like, and it's got oh, Goldmember. It. And the character of Goldmember is just like, what is this? And he's played by Travolta at the end of the movie. Right, yeah, it's just so bizarre and weird. And it's like, yeah, that's something that people should come back and rediscover. And I think Scream 4 is another one that people should kind of go back and take a look at, too, because it's so meta in a series of films that are living on the fact that they're meta. Like, I actually don't think Scream 4 is a very good movie, but, like, going back and revisiting it, you're like, holy shit, like, this, this movie is, like... What? Like, what? (laughs) Where is it coming from? Um, So I think stuff like that absolutely can fall into that stuff. I know that's not really necessarily the question you asked of films that I think got missed. But, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff from the early part of the 2000s that I think can go back and be rediscovered. I think Big Fish is another one that can fall into that. Um, What's that Billy Bob, that that Coen Brothers one um, that had Billy Bob Thornton in it? Uh, Nope, nope. Man wasn't there. Okay. It was kind of overlooked as far as a Coen Brothers flick, but like again, definitely lives in that world. Um, I'm just trying to think of it off the top of my head here. I mean, people obviously people talk about Donnie Darko and like obviously Lynch had like Inland Empire and stuff from that time period. Yeah. Uh, there's one particular one that I always like to bring up. Oh, um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh yeah, good film. Yeah, I think again, people didn't really care about it, but you go back and watch that movie now, and it's like this really kick-ass comic book movie that just kind of came and went and people didn't care about because they were sick of Michael Cera at the time. But, like, you know, having Edgar Wright directed and having this killer cast with with Mary Elizabeth Weinstead and, like, Anna Kendrick and Kieran Culkin, like, it's a great fucking movie that people just kind of forget happened. Yeah, I think it's... You you look at... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you look at at the casts of some of these movies, you know, like you brought up Austin Powers and, like, if you were to 
show somebody like you know a teenager that today like holy shit is that Beyonce like it's like yeah this movie made Beyonce into who she is before this she was nothing you know or Scott Pilgrim like holy shit is that Captain America yep that's Captain America like yeah Captain Marvel yeah Captain Marvel I forgot she's in that yeah that too um, but I mean, it's the type of thing where it's like I'm actually like on on our podcast. We're going to start in April. We're going back and doing a month, and we're, we're it's a theme month called uh, "Is It Still Funny?" And we're going to cover like Zoolander and like Anchorman and like Wedding Crashers and like all these m- films that were these massive comedic successes. And we want to see if they hold up now. You know, like ten, fifteen years after their release, because they were like everybody quoted those movies, but were they actually good movies? That's an interesting. That's actually a brilliant idea. So I want to. I definitely want to thank you guys for for joining us today. And um, now is the time when you you can plug all of your stuff. Like let everybody know where uh, I've already shared the Indiegogo for survival of the film freaks in the Throwdown Thursday group. Uh, And I've shared it with. uh, I have a group chat with a bunch of my like. Canadian and Texan podcasting buddies. Um, so let folks know where they can find you, where they can find outside the cinema and any other projects you're working on, like Kyle for Phantasm. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so you can uh, uh, thank you for sharing the Indiegogo um, that we're have. We have uh, maybe probably 20 days uh, left by the time you post this. I'm just going to ballpark secret. Um, and we're really close to our goal, so thank you so much for supporting and spreading the word. Uh, you can find Survival of the Film Freaks at Film Freaks Movie on Twitter and Instagram, and Survival of the Film Freaks on Facebook. Um, you can find me at K-R-K-U-C-H-T-A, that's K-R-Kukta on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and I did do a documentary called Phantasm, which is now available for free on YouTube, um, and it's F-A-N-T-A-S-A-M. Uh, that's not how you spell it. F A N T A S M. And you can find that on YouTube. Uh, it was a, a documentary I did about uh, horror movie conventions um, back in 2013, and it includes Bill Fulgerson and that's a bunch me. of other people. Um, and that's now available for free. So you can check that out. And uh, I think that's probably it for all I do. Uh, you can find all my other stuff at kyleclickton.com. Cool. You can find me on Google Plus. Just look up. Um, <laughs> no, uh, uh, at uh, at OTC Bill on uh, Instagram and on Twitter. I don't really use Twitter very much. I'm trying to. I'm, I promise. I'm trying to up my Twitter game. I've been saying that for like six years, but still. Um, and then if you want to friend me up on Facebook, just look me up, Bill Fulkerson. I'm easy to find. And then uh, my podcast, Outside the Cinema, is same thing. Just look up Outside the Cinema. That's it. <laughs> well, well, hi, dog. <laughs> What are you like auditioning for the room sequel? Oh hi, dog. Oh hi, dog. Oh hi, buddy. <laughs> uh, so he came walking in the room and he put his hand on my shoulder. It's weird. Nice. Oh hi, bark. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because my dog. See, my dog's name is Bark Wahlberg. So, oh my god, it's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, it's the best dog and the best name. Yeah, if you like Bill, to see- Bill wins. <laughs> If you would like to see more of Bark Wahlberg, go to our Indiegogo page and watch the uh, the video that we put up on the uh, to launch the campaign. Yes, yeah, he's also on Instagram. He is on Instagram at Bark underscore Wahlberg. Nice. Well, who's a boy? 
<laughs> pretty much. Uh, I think that's pretty much going to wrap it up. Uh, so, again, guys, thank you very much for uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, really appreciate it coming on, sharing some of your thank your cult thank knowledge. You for- I don't yeah, thank you for having us. That was awesome. We really appreciate it. And that was certainly fun. Do. Certainly do. Yeah, we'll definitely have to have you guys on again, either together or separately, you know, talk about some... Uh, Preferably uh, separately. <laughs> yeah, I, if I have to talk to this dude again, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, maybe get, get some of your favorite cult characters out there, you know, give us a <laughs> chance to see some of, uh, some of the movies that you guys like that maybe we're not familiar with. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, Again, thank you, and uh, you know everybody, go out and support the Indiegogo campaign. Pick up a Blu-ray, DVD, shirt, something. You know, if cassette strapped, tape. If you're strapped for cash, pick up a poster no, for we five have bucks. A cassettes left. Where the cassettes are almost are almost gone, and so yeah. And the custom yeah. commentaries, I think we only have four left. So, I mean, this is what's budgeted is both the physical and the digital release. So, like any, if you don't collect physical media or want a dvd or blu-ray that's totally fine but every little bit helps get the movie out to as many eyes as possible so yeah we do have posters we have a digital download discounted of the soundtrack we have various other things that are available so definitely check it out yeah so all right uh we'll let you guys go because uh you guys probably want to get to bed and eat food or you know not necessarily in that order but do all those things that's cool yeah so, I eat in my sleep and just pray that I don't choke. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's worked well for you so far, so I'd say so keep, far, keep doing yeah. it. I'm here, baby! <laughs> <laughs> All right, gents, you guys have yourselves a, a great evening, and uh, we look forward to seeing you. Actually, well, we got one more thing to plug. You guys are going to be in Worcester with the Deadites in a couple of weeks. Is that not oh, true? Yeah. Oh, we actually have a bunch of stuff to plug. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yeah. So, right away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we are we are going to be uh, before the Deadite show. We are going to be in Charlotte at Vizart Video um, for three screenings. It's so cool that we're playing in this video store in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it is. I, I, I so wish we could be down there for it, but um, we are playing Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, March twenty seventh, twenty eighth, and 29th. ninth. Uh, I believe they're at seven thirty. Um, Tickets are like five bucks, super cheap, super cool area and space to be screening the movie. And it is honestly, it's so fun to watch with an audience. And that's not just me saying it because I made the movie. I swear it's fine. Um, but it is it's a great time. So you can check them out um, at VizArt Video. Uh, and then we do have an unannounced or screening in maybe phoenix arizona maybe not uh sometime in early april but who's to say um you can follow us on survival the film freaks on facebook to get more information when that comes about and then we do have our show with the deadites um which is april 12th i believe is that date i I know they have the whole weekend i know they have the whole weekend set up so i just wanted to make sure it was april 12th that's going to be a bull mansion um, Actually, the screen, no, the screening yeah. is at um, Parkview Room. Yeah, the Parkview. Oh, yep. see, that's yeah. I should, I should, I knew Jesse was on the call. <laughs> Jesse for that information. Um, sorry. So yes, April twelfth though. Uh, you can check us out there. Um, celebrating we'll there as well. Yeah, How we- many years? Seventy? You guys over the hill yet? What's the deal? <laughs> it's the it's the it's the twenty third. It- 20th anniversary. It's the 25th uh, 
annual Dead Night Celebration. And uh, that night, right before Survival of the Film Freaks plays, we're doing a live Trick or Treat radio. Oh, my podcast is going to be there, too. <laughs> and then... Uh, it's going to be live outside the cinema, broadcasting the same time as Trick or Treat Radio. That's crazy. Uh, I'm going to do crazy. a live Kyle Cook the Show variety hour <laughs> there's gonna be uh, a, the same time as OTC and Trick or Treat Radio. And, and just outside of her, there's going to be a live pantomime of Phantasm as well. Oh! <laughs> an official screening on my iPhone of the original Survivor. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I'll be there. <laughs> Screw that live show. Uh, I, I also wanted to call out real quick that um, you guys had mentioned VizArts. Uh, my buddy Professor Jay runs that down there. Sure does. Jay, Jay's been, Jay hooked us up with this um, Cult Movies in the Cave screening yeah. series. He, he's so a, really, such a great dude. Yeah, he's awesome. Really appreciative to Jay and for reaching out and connecting us because, uh, yeah, he's he's got the whole gig going on down there. So um, that'll be really cool. Yes. And then at the end of the month, we're streaming uh, screening at Starfest in Denver, Colorado. Um, that uh, date and time hasn't been announced yet, but that convention has been announced. Um, so you can, uh, if you're in Denver, you can check us out there um, and we'll announce that date soon. There's a rumor we'll be playing at the Gathering of the Juggalos this summer. So, <laughs> you guys, are you guys will definitely be in attendance to that one. Obviously, I'm already there. Cave in Rock, Illinois. Here I come. You're gonna wear your. You're gonna wear your How to Magnets work shirt. No, I'm gonna wear my Michael Raven Shadow Fu shirt. Hey, <laughs> San Fago. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much for coming on and chatting with us and Gosh, dropping Patsy, some knowledge. You. And yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, Patsy, do you have anything else you want to add? Uh, no, just uh, you know, definitely go out and buy this movie. Support these guys because don't torrent it. Yeah, don't torrent it. Uh, buy the movie. Give it. Give it. Give it ten years. <laughs> you can torrent it. All you, you can torrent it all you want after you buy it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, we'll let you guys go. We'll let you uh, finish your evenings and have your stew or whatever it is you crazy kids do. And uh, yeah, I got. I already put my crock pot on low. So, <laughs> <laughs> so your stew will be ready tomorrow afternoon. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Thank have you guys so night. much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good night, fam. Sites.
Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill, and you're listening to Throwdown Thursday Podcast. Hello again, everyone. It's Mr. Most Days Off from the Best Darn Diddly Review Show, here with a special message for you from Richie the Wiz Kid. You know, a town without Best Darn Diddly is a little like the mule with the spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it, and danged if he knows how to use it. The name's WizKid, Richie the WizKid, and I come before you good fans of Springfield with probably the greatest podcast. Uh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville podcast. Now, you wait here just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. You tell us where to listen to Best Darn Diddly and we'll listen. I'll tell you exactly where you can listen to it. You can catch the Best Darn Diddly review show each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. So hop on the monorail and join us on this journey through the Simpsons series. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. <laughs> Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. And we are back. That was a lot of fun. That was fun. I learned. I learned a lot. I wrote down like half a dozen different movie games that I have to now check out. Um, so I'm waiting for the uh, debut album from Flesh Tax. Oh, Flesh Tax! That might have to be the. Uh, I think that's the, the that's the title. title. Yes, but it's Flesh is spelled with a Z, Z. and Tax has three X's. That's how you know they're hardcore. Yeah, three X's. The X's for extreme. Yes. So, um, so we have oh. battle results. Yeah, I was gonna say we don't have a whole lot more except for uh, for battle results this week. So last week we threw down the orange. You've glad you've got a friend battle. Asking who would you choose as your feline companion in battle and in life. We gave you the choices of Hobbs from Calvin and Hobbs, Goose from Captain Marvel, Jones from the Alien franchise, and Crookshanks from the Harry Potter series. And astonishing, maybe, to some, not so much to others, uh, Hobbs won. That's hugely, not astonishing. Like, yeah, hugely, that was, just, it was just, a huge victory. You know, Hobbs all the way. I don't think. Oh, I forgot to vote. You didn't even vote, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't have changed anything. And I think I probably would have voted for Hobbs. Hobbs is the best. So. So yeah, it wouldn't have changed anything. So. Next week we have uh, another in a series of uh, talking to documentarians. We're going to be di- discussing the film Cinemability, which is all about the art of inclusion of uh, persons with disabilities in film in Hollywood. And we're going to be discussing uh, that film with the director, Jenny Gold. And uh, and if you're interested in actually checking out the documentary. documentary, documentary oh my put God. the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Oh, my God. If you're interested in checking out the film, there we go. Uh, you can actually find it on Amazon. You can rent it for two ninety nine, or you can buy it like uh, like we did. I haven't picked it up yet, but I will be. Uh, 20 bucks get you the DVD, and it's got a hell of a cast in it. Uh, and you get some really interesting insight into you know, the world of, of Hollywood and, and representation from a lot of folks that maybe you wouldn't have expected it from. So uh, definitely check it out, and we'll be talking with uh, 
Jenny Gold next week of uh, Gold Pictures. So, I think with that being said, until next week, we will we'll see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. <laughs>